Welcome, everyone, to 2023 season episode three of the Team Blaney podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. As always, this podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been following the drivers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades, and Team Blaney itself launched on social media in 2014. Each weekly episode of the podcast offers an in-depth analysis of Ryan Blaney's latest NASCAR Cup Series race, plus news notes and a lineup of special guests throughout the year. Steve, welcome back. As I said, episode three of 2023. Happy to say it's Daytona week. It's it. It's, you know, it's been one week, <laughs> one week to go now. <laughs> we had the clash. We had the Super Bowl. And now finally, it's NASCAR Super Bowl as we head to uh, head to the beach and go to the Daytona 500, the biggest race of the year. We kick off the season with it. And uh, we happen to have a driver in Ryan Blaney that happens to be pretty good when it comes to plate racing or uh, tapered spacer racing, I guess now, and super speedways. And it just makes that week exciting because we've seen him come oh so close so many times. We've seen him win one race, but just he needs to get over the hump in the 500. That's it. Just once again, the, the same thing every time you're a super speedway race, stay out of people's messes and then be there at the end and uh, and make things happen at the end. So this whole week is just a, a whole bunch of fun stuff. I mean, you Wednesday, starting Wednesday, you go Wednesday into Thursday, into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just every day something happening all week long. Uh, you know, uh, I've got the TVs ready. <laughs> uh, I'll, I will send a picture later this week when uh, we have a new TV. And uh, the TV I had on the wall it did not get retired. It's become the secondary TV where probably the in-car camera is going to go um, now that NASCAR is going to give us in-car camera. I think of everybody uh, during the race. So um, yeah, the broadcast on one in-car camera on another, uh, the uh, audio coming through uh, NASCAR.com with the spotter and crew chief. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I have the notebook. Uh, you know, I had a couple pages left over from last year, so I'll finish that one up. I'll start another one uh, probably right after Daytona because uh, Daytona is a lot of writing <laughs> all off season long. I've just been waiting. I'm like, man, when is this off season going to be over? And now that it's actually the week of the 500, I'm like, man, things are happening so fast. You know, qualifying is already coming up soon. The race is coming up soon. And then, you know, we got to go out to the West coast and then back over here for Atlanta. And then like all these other things, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of pumped up and full of energy because it's finally race week, but I want to put things on hold for a just a little bit because as we've done already with episode one and episode two of the 2023 season, we have yet again, another special guest to join us here on the podcast. And that special guest that's going to be here with us this week on the team Blaney podcast is Dave Nichols. Some know him better as mule. He's a tire specialist for the number 12 Ford Mustang and Ryan Blaney at team Penske. Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me guys. Yeah, thanks for doing this for us. Um, hopefully, uh, this uh, this year will be another exciting year for you. Um, but we want people to meet uh, meet some of the people behind the scenes at uh, at uh, Team Penske, and especially behind the twelve car. Um, we got to meet Raymond last year. Uh, talked to him about uh, some of the things that happened at, at Daytona. Um, but uh, actually, you know, we get to meet more and more people as time goes on. Um, tell us a little bit about. Um, 
where you came from and how you got your way into NASCAR. I mean, that's something that a lot of people want to learn how to do. I think, you know, how your skill set and where it came from and so forth. So uh, I grew up in racing my entire life. My, uh, my grandfather raced, my father raced, my uncle raced, uh, my godfather raced um, from upstate New York. So we were big modified guys. Uh, I still am a modified guy. Like, I love it's the only type of racing. I, I joke, but <laughs> just can't make money at it. Um, they, uh, every Friday, I grew up, my childhood was Friday night at the racetrack, Saturday night at the racetrack. And we would drive, we lived in Macedon outside of Rochester. Um, so Spencer Speedway, we grew up, it was every Friday night. And then my dad would drive for somebody on Saturday at the old Shangri-La or Tioga in a, a Wego. Okay. speedway so that was about two and a half hours and that's how i grew up from i mean from i can remember as a kid all the way up to about 14 those are like close to watkins Glen, right yeah that's right yeah it's right uh it's probably 45 minutes from shemong so mm-hmm. shemong's a half hour from watkins Glen, and uh, we go at it would have been yeah about an hour so uh it's a gravel pit now <laughs> so <laughs> they don't race there anymore but uh mm-hmm. me and my brother uh we kind of raced go-karts growing up and uh when i was 16 i started running the street stock at spencer speedway a little bit here and there um and i kind of realized that i didn't have the funds to do anything or maybe not the talent either to make it to the next level so i figured i better find something else in it and uh i went to penfield high school and we had a uh, welding fabrication class so i was able to get learn how to tig weld make fabricate better than what i knew how to do on a race car and it kind of i said well i'm I'm going to move south. Like, I want to work for a race team. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uncle <clears throat> had moved down here in 98 or 97 and was working for Brett Bodine. The uh, close call, I think it was the Paychecks, uh, 11 car when Brett owned their own team. Oh, okay. Yep. So he had uh, worked there for two years, and that team was kind of dissolving, and he got hired on at Roush Racing with, uh, it was at that time, it was Jeff Burton in the nine gain car. Mark Martin was driving the Win Dixie 60. Well, Mark was getting ready to step away from the Xfinity stuff. And that's when they, had, uh, Greg Biffle had moved up through the truck series. So I graduated high school in 2000 and moved south and lived with him for six, six, seven months. And basically, I went and just knocked down doors every day. And uh, back then, it was, there were so many teams and there were so many opportunities. It really was hard not to find something. You couldn't find something if because you, you didn't look for it. It was that they were there. I mean, that's when we were getting 50 cup cars, 45 bush cars back then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 38 trucks showing up each week. Like, I mean, the fields were strong, you know? And so uh, I was able to get lucky enough to get down at Roush's contract labor, just going for the last three races of the 2000 year. So it was Rockingham, Atlanta, and I, somewhere else. Or, oh, no, it was the last two, just Rockingham and Atlanta back then. And uh, just came in, and I was catching tires. And uh, catching tires behind the wall, and that's all I did. Showed up, got a uniform, got a radio. I thought it was like, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm 18, ready to go. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I did that for like the last two, two races that 2000 season. And uh, there was a truck driver truck team called Spraker racing jeff Spraker owned it and he had stepped away from driving and kind of opened up a fabrication shop inside lakeside park which is down here by the mooresville dragway and family friend and he's like hey 
why don't you come here? He's like, you can work and I'll, I'll kind of teach you how to do stuff. All right. 200 bucks a week, cash money. I was on my way. And, uh, mm-hmm. I did that for about six, six months, I think it was. And actually Randy Goss had moved down from Michigan to take over Greg, uh, the 60 Xfinity car with Greg Biffle. And they needed, uh, some back then they called it track support. So I would fly in Saturday and then fly, you know, fly home, not do anything. And I signed up to do that. And I got 50 bucks a week to hand gas over the wall and kind of worked my way into the shop there a little bit doing, uh, trickets here and there. And I just, uh, Randy was down here by himself without any of his family. And he's like, we should stay late with me. I, the man taught me a lot of stuff about NASCAR and about racing. We would sit there till nine, 10 o'clock at night and whittle on something to make the car better. Everybody else would leave. And he kind of took me under his wing and uh, really taught me a lot. And they offered me a job halfway through the year as a tire guy. And I kind of just ran with that from that point on. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's a lot of, like in a lot of apprenticeship type stuff. Like, I mean, um, you yeah, kind of like, sure. you, you're saying from here to here to here, but while you're in these places, you're going like you start out with them like a welding background, but then yeah. you, you know, I mean, how do you get into learning about the, about tires? I mean, cause that's. Well, so back to like my, with, uh, at Roush with Biff, uh, Greg Biffle's deal, the 60 car Granger car. I, uh, at that time I was just kind of, I was in charge of the pit practice area, which really consisted of gluing lug nuts, cleaning tires, gluing lug nuts, and just making sure everything was right for those guys to practice. Because back then we didn't have road crew, pit crew. We had about 10 guys per team. And those 10 guys also worked in the shop. And so they didn't have time. You know, there wasn't a designated person. So it was easy to, you know, cheap labor. Go out there and do that. Okay, cool. Well, I happened to be working one day and back there. And uh, they had a, a tire guy that they had quit. It was a Wednesday afternoon before Nashville. Mm-hmm. Before the new Nashville track. And I could hear them talking about it. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? And I was 18. I had a big mouth. And I was like, well, hell, I'll do it. And they, uh, Randy Goss and uh, Cowboy, Kevin Starlin, looked at me and said, I mean, I guess that's all we got. <laughs> so uh, I was like, all right, well, I, I, what, no, when are we leaving? He said, go pack your bag. We're leaving 45 minutes. <laughs> and it was that was my first uh, trip to the trip to the racetrack earlier, considered road crew personnel. So. What eventually led you to to Team Penske uh, down the road a little bit in your career? Um, I had been at Rout. I was at Rout for eight years. I went to Yates actually for a one year with Casey Kane when he came into the series driving the Channel Lock ninety eight car, and that kind of kind of deal kind of fizzled. Robert had some problems on his end and really didn't, and it kind of fizzled out. So I went back to Roush, and really I worked my way until they ran out of cars and people. Uh, I worked for Kerr. A little a couple races, uh, mostly Mark Martin. I worked for Biffle on the cup side and then Jamie McMurray. And uh, when McMurray's contract was up, the Crown Royal deal ended, and that 26 car was going away. I needed to try to find another job. And uh, actually, Larry Carter said, You need to go apply over at Penske. I was like, Okay. And I've I heard great things about it and uh, walked in there and uh, actually sat down with Michael Nelson. And it, it's a, I laugh now because, um, he goes, well, you're going to work with Kurt. Are you okay with that? And I was like, well, yeah, I've, I've worked with him a little bit before. And he goes, I'm just making sure. You you sure you want to work for Kurt again? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? And I think that's the only reason I got hired on, like, the second interview. Slap the hammer, like, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I was, uh, walked in there, and I was like, wow, I wasted 
eight years of my life at Roush. Like this place is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is interesting how the, like the, the shops can look different from team to team to team, but it seems like it, as long as they are able to work in concert and find some sort of way forward, all those teams, you know, have resulted in, in championships. Right. Exactly. Like, and I, I mean, I, I joke about Roush, you but I, I owe Roush a lot. Of, I mean, I, we, you did everything there. Like you just weren't one person like that. You worked on every part of that car the whole time. You're like, you know, there wasn't a designated guy. There was a designated setup guy and car chief. The rest of us just did whatever we had to do that day to get the car ready to go. Suspension, fabrication, whatever. So um, talked about your, you know, you're listed as a tire specialist on the roster. We were at the track. You kind of see you doing lots of different things, you know, member of the road crew guys had some frantic repair jobs to do playoffs and uh, on the cusp of the playoffs last year as well. Can you talk about what your, maybe your day-to-day job kind of is and what's your job on the weekends when you're at the track? So I'm the, I guess you'd call the lead tire or head tire specialist at Penske. So I kind of oversee everything that has to do tire uh, related wheels, which this year was a big challenge with everything going on with that. Uh, trying to prep the wheels before we got there or maintain, like there was a moving target each week of what the tolerances were going to be. And with the Penske, we're a little bit different than everybody else. So we, we have chrome wheels, not mm-hmm. gray. So we actually had to find a polisher that would polish. Uh, we ended up ordering 700 wheels and we got 590 of them in. So trying to work the rotation of getting them to the polisher back to our wheel service champion I'll help out on the, you know, on the surface plate or wherever I can during the week. Uh, Penske's got a great layout of uh, really the road crew. When they get the car, it's built, and it's more just setting it up and kind of fluffing on it. The, the shop guys do a really good job. Tim Teal has it very organized. Uh, I get to the racetrack. I, the tires are my my baby, I guess. I kind of take care of all of them, and uh, I kind of oversee the other three tire specialists that we have, uh, including the Wood Brothers. So, uh Kind of, they all are interior guys. So basically, I kind of anything that they can't get done or have a problem getting done, I'll pick up the slack to get done. Because I'm, you know, I'm the only designated tire guy for the roster, as you said before. So, so this leads to the nicknames at Penske um, that everybody seems to have a nickname. Uh, how did you get Mule? Who gives you that nickname? So I got Mule when I first started at uh, when I worked at Roush. And, oh, okay. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> I went to California. It was my first race in California. And I, I don't know if you guys have been there or not, but the garages are really tight. So the, the Speedway was built for Indy cars. So it was built for about 25 Indy cars. Well, mm-hmm. now we put 40. At then we were putting 40 to 50 cup cars in the garage. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had to 45 our way into the garage stall. You know, one car this way, one car that way. Mm-hmm. So it was all those tight quarters in between. And we came in for practice and I went to jack the left side of the car up and the jack handle fell over and it hit a uh, guy in a 57 car. No big deal. Like, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. He's like, Oh, cool. No, yeah, no, no big deal. We turn around, go out make a run, come in. I do the exact same thing, hit the exact same guy. And uh cowboy, Kevin Starlin was like, man, you're like a bull in the China shop. And our crew chief, Randy Goss goes, he ain't smart enough to be a bull. He's like a mule. He's a mule. He's a mule in the China shop, and it has stuck with me from that day forward. <laughs> Everybody, like, I, there's people at Penske. I've been there 14 years that still don't know my name. They just know oh, me by mule. By like, mule. it's just a mule. Yeah. So I thought it had something to do with having to, having to move all those tires around. Well, uh, I mean, watch I, I, you, I got a, watching you. 
yeah, broad shoulders and strong back. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were at Darlington there and you were just like, here goes another set. There goes another set. And you're just back and forth with them the whole afternoon. Yeah. It was just- that's one of our, that's one of our biggest, that and the 600 is just, and even Darlington's not as bad as it used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you said you've been around for a while. So like even Rockingham, Rockingham back in the day was terrible. Like it mm-hmm. was before there was even tire limits. You just kept buying, 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 buying all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, do you kind of dread going into those weekends at Darlington or and uh, vice versa when you head to like Talladega or Daytona? Are you like, oh, I can uh, kind of catch my breath this week <laughs> just a yeah, little bit? Yeah, like everybody loves speedway races because it's it, as much nerve wracking as to watch it. It's very easy once you get there. It's, it's not, and I say easy, it's just it's very. There's not much going on. You know, Darlington we got 14 sets, and I think Talladega we get seven. So it's like, it's half of it right there, and it yeah. just. They're more relaxed. There's no practice now for the speedways. We just line up and qualify, which is actually kind of nice because it's, you know, not having to worry about wrecking something in practice for practice. So can you talk a little bit about what the communication is like with uh, the guys on the top of the pit box? If you're in charge of tires during the race, are you are you working with air pressures? Is there anybody else that helps you with that along the way? Uh, no. So Hassler, Jonathan Hassler and uh, is at the racetrack, obviously, and uh, our engineer, Tony Palmer, who's at the shop, we have an intercom system, kind of like this deal. And yeah. so Palmer is in my ear and in Hassler's ear. Uh, and between him and Jonathan, they'll come up with an air pressure change and they'll tell me and then I'll do it. Uh, we'll do stagger sometimes if it's an option. Uh, a lot of places it's not, or we can't get all the sets that way. So there is some shuffling that comes on here and there. Uh, the last race here, Phoenix, we shuffled stagger towards the end of the race. Uh, didn't have to do air pressure. I'll say in the 22 did. So I don't want to uh, sound stupid, but what's the pressure like <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when you might be making like last minute changes or even, you know, I was at a race, uh, one of the finale races at Homestead um, where, you know, they put the the right sides on the left or the left sides on the right of the car. Like uh, oh, what's, what's, what car? is the, yeah. yeah. What's the pressure like uh, under those circumstances? It, it's, it's a lot. I, I try to idiot proof it for myself. Like, like I'll, I have two different colors. I make the carriers wrap the tires in three different color tapes. So it's like, like if it gets on the wrong side, like it's, I don't know how, like catastrophic events happen, you know. And uh, it, it's stressful because I I feel like I'm the last. Like I could I could make or break it, you know. And I say make or break it, but the adjustments they come up with and I do can either we can win the race or we can lose it. We my. Uh, with that being said, the last year we were this group was with Joey was at Phoenix, and I put a half pound on the right front, and we went from leading the race to a lap down in forty five laps. Not sure how. <laughs> things uh, things like that happen. There was a there was a race years ago for Dave where they uh, it was Bristol, and they qualified third, and then they it was the night the night race, and he admitted it after the race that he put the wrong air pressure to start the race. Um, it was Tommy Baldwin. He put the uh, uh, the air pressure from the spring race during the gotcha. daytime, daytime to start the night, race. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, they ended up, uh, it was one of the, I think it was after they reconfigured the track cause they went green for a hundred laps and he ended up over a lap down and then there was a caution. He ended up like three laps down and yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky. It can be tricky, especially, you know, and I'll knock on wood that I haven't had it happen and I'll keep it that way, but I have mm-hmm. not put the rights on the left yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now with the next gen car, it seems like the box for adjustments has gotten smaller and smaller, smaller. So tires and, and air pressure seems like they're, they're more important than ever. 
Right. Yeah. With the coil over system we have now, like, I mean, you can put, we have uh, adjusters that go up to the rear jacks or the top of the rear docks, but you're limited to how many rounds you can get there. It really as quick as the pit stop is you, you don't, you don't want to put a wrench in the window. Like you got to be really, really bad or, you know, or the way the strategy works with the fuel and all that stuff, you're hoping you got to take fuel when you need a massive adjustment. Cause you can kind of, the stop can be slower because you're going to wait on gas anyways. So mm-hmm. but that's all tires now. Correct. Yeah. Are they doing anything to improve the shocks this year? Because I guess last year the shocks seemed to be holding back the tire from coming down, like dropping sometimes. Well, so that's, that's nothing to do with the shock. It's, it's self-induced by the teams. Oh, okay. So it's how you set the race car up and the bleed and stuff you put in the shock. Uh, it's easy to say that you want to get this thing low to the ground and sealed off, just like the other car uh, right. for downforce, you know, for aero reasons. And to do that, you got to get the wheels up in the fenders. Well, if you don't have rebound and bleed and all that, it doesn't drive the shock back out for pit stops. Uh, you kind of see that in the truck series, too. If you watch a lot of truck races, Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the short tracks, a lot of those guys have to struggle to get the right fronts out. And it's just, it's all the way we build them. It's not so much the manufacturer or <laughs> NASCAR, mm-hmm. it's a little self-induced, but we'll never admit that, you know. <laughs> Can you uh, talk a little bit about the risk versus reward in, in starting off a run or starting off the race on low air pressures? At the beginning of the 2022 season, um, we saw a lot of tire failures and Goodyear kept coming back and saying, you know, we let everybody know what the minimum pressure should be. And then I'm assuming the teams go, okay, well, we're going to go below that to this level. And then, um, we saw, we saw several failures and kind of a lot of, uh, hand wringing over that early in the year. Um, did you guys kind of learn, you know, what the parameters really should be, or did you just kind of back it off as the year kind of went on because the, the risk yeah. was just too high? I mean, we kind of. We, we, everybody went into it blind, even including Goodyear. I mean, if you look at it, they had maybe three tests in the off season and say, all right, figure it out. This, you know, cause we didn't have parts. We didn't have cars. We, we couldn't go test and they kind of were blind. And, and, and I kind of defend Goodyear a little bit more than most than a lot of people. Uh, we are the only sanctioned body that doesn't back the, the tire manufacturer. We, we allow a lot of people to bash them. And I, you know, as beating NASCAR, and no repercussions. I mean, any car guy doesn't get out and bash Firestone when they blow a tire. And you never see that. And this side, I think they, they like to see that because it's a little controversy and stuff. We, uh, we, we would do what we felt was safe. Now, Goodyear safe is extremely safe. Now, you, you got to be able to go fast. So you, you took that back to down to what you thought. Uh, I, I think a lot of the failures you saw were definitely low air pressure, but we were, I think, learning a lot of the, the camber, uh, rear camber stuff that a lot of people didn't have figured out. And really, the yeah. sidewalls just couldn't take it more than anything. So towards the end of the year, they kind of see Kansas, Texas, and Vegas had new construction left side tires with, with a stiffer radius sidewall. And we really didn't see those problems. So so as a member uh, with the road crew, I mentioned you guys in the 2022 season had some frantic repair jobs to do. Daytona being probably one of the bigger ones. Uh, you also had to, to do it at Bristol, which some was done over the wall, some was done in, in the garage. Can you talk a little bit about your role there and how maybe the repairs have changed a lot with the new car compared to maybe the old car? Yeah, so really my job during most of the repair, 90% of the repairs, Bristol, I was back and forth, but uh, there's three designated mechanics that we bring, or there's three guys that are the mechanics that go over the wall for sure, and uh, Daniel, Raymond, and Brett. Um, so they kind of... 
I'm the fourth guy, but if they need it, but really my job is I know where everything is behind the wall. So I'm kind of anticipating what they need or as they're yelling back, I'm throwing it to them. Um, the picker guys really don't get to interact with the car much. So them trying to figure out, they say they want a toe link or we need an upper or we need a knuckle. Like they're not really sure what that is. So that's kind of my deal. Is like I know where everything is back there between me and, the, you know, we have a truck driver that's at the truck if they need it. And then I'm on pit road and uh, basically just giving them what they need or trying to think ahead of like, hey, take this with you because I think you may need this or because they're trying to figure out, you know, you think seven minutes is long. and It's not that long a time. <laughs> but uh, we, we definitely had some friends like Bristol probably was by far one of the. Yeah. I mean, they made a rule about it for us not to do it anymore. <laughs> but it, I, I, I look at it as. We successfully did things that other teams couldn't do. Absolutely. Yeah, and, we saw a lot of teams trying to, to repair tow links and, and do some other things that, uh, and honestly, you guys at Daytona, I think, had done it in the, they extended the the amount of minutes you got, and you guys had done it in the, I think when it was still the, at six, yeah, and I think it's 10 yeah. or something now, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, like, I think our, like, the Bristol accomplishment was we watched the nine car at Darlington bend the lower and bend the tie rod and couldn't get the tire on to make minimum speed then to come back and change it and so for that i, I know for the road crew it was a morale like it was it makes us feel good like hey you know not we but there's nothing we left out there that we, you know we gave it all we could and, and, and that's one of those that. those things we we're talking about wanting to spotlight uh people behind the scenes a little bit more because uh as you mentioned a minute ago you know, the pit crew guys are very, spe- you know, they're specialized. They're there to change tires. They're there to jack the car. Um, but the guys on the road crew, <laughs> while you uniforms look very similar, <laughs> um, <laughs> when you're going over the wall to make repairs, it's a totally different set of guys. So when we talked about that with Raymond, too, so it's always nice to kind of like give you guys your, your due just so yes. people kind of know what's happening. So it's a, it's a really long season. And uh, yes. you've been in the business for a long time, as you said, you're kind of moving down there since you were 18 and yeah. working at Roush all those years and working at Penske, uh, the season's uh, amount of races maybe is, hasn't changed as much over the year, but the amount of time off has changed a lot. Last year and this year, only one weekend off for in the entire you know 36-race stretch. Are you there every single week? And uh, if so, how is, it, how is it budgeting your time uh, between your job and your family and uh, it's, everything uh, that goes with that? Yeah. Team Penske has done a really good job. Travis Geisler, uh, they've kind of they've kind of realized this is going to be a problem. You know, it, it, it's a lot of time, especially last year with the we had testing on top of the new car uh, and just, you know, the NASCAR schedule itself. It's just it's a grueling it's a grueling schedule for sure. Uh, so they took it upon themselves to tell us we're going to take a week off. Like so we're going to get our NASCAR week off. And then this year they are going to assign us two extra weekends off uh, to keep morale up. So they're trying to, they're giving us as much time as we can right now. And especially this off season, it's a struggle. It's, you know, I, my joke is it's a family sport as long as your family doesn't get in the way. <laughs> but uh, my, my wife, she's learned to accept it. I wouldn't say she loves it, but she's learned to accept it uh, a little bit. My, my kids are getting older. Uh, my oldest daughter's actually be 20 tomorrow. My uh, second daughter is 18. She'll be 19 and graduating this year. And then my boy is 16. So uh, they know what dad does. And they, they, my son glued to it. He can tell me what happens. He'll, he'll text me when the race is over. 
you'll ask me, why'd you do this? Why'd this happen? Or, you know, and, uh, which makes it, I mean, I'm glad they're involved or at least interested in it. And it's just not, you know, dad's gone just to be gone. So. Any of them interested in following in your, in your footsteps on, on a race team side of things or, um... uh, no, I really feel like the time away probably hurt yeah. that. Yeah. Hurt that feeling of them wanting to do it. Uh, no, my, uh, yeah, they want to get as far from racing as they can. They enjoy it, watching it. They just don't want to be in it. So you had the opportunity when you're with Todd Gordon and Joey Logano in 2018 to win a Cup Series championship. Again, after being in you know in the series for so long, working your way up, can you talk about that moment when you uh, when you were on a team that was able to kind of win the ultimate prize? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we were on. A, I was on a team this year that should have won the ultimate prize, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, it, it's got to be like any other athlete, right? Your, your goal and what you sign up for is to win a championship. Being with Joey, we had come so close three times before, had it fall through our fingers. And it was like, you know, I was starting to think, being a Bills fan, I was like, are we going to be the four and <laughs> and can't make it happen? And uh, I don't know. It, it's To me, it was, you know, it's championships, awesome, rewarding. But a little part of me was like, well, it was – all the time away was it's it's finally worth it now. Now I wouldn't say it's finally worth it, but there's there's a piece of jewelry at the end of it that said, okay, you know, champion, and you know, you, you worked your butt off to get to this point, so you you've got the ultimate what you can get, you know. So again, you guys win that championship, and then just a couple of years later, Team Penske shakes things up, and um, it wasn't just a crew chief swap; it was basically entire crew swapping in the in the organization. So you went from working with Joey to working with the 12 team and Ryan. What was that transition like? And were you kind of taken aback by it at first and then just persevered as it went on? Or did you take it as a challenge? Um, and, and really, I, I, I tell everybody this because the questions come up before, but we never changed. Ryan was a new one. He's the one that had to figure it out. <laughs> we were the same group that, mm-hmm. you know. That's a good we, point. We knew, what we, had, uh, we knew what we had done. So it was, you know. Now it's your turn or not, you know, if, if we're going to, you know, Roger Penske has been in the business for a long time. So when he says something and you might not agree with it, but there's probably a pretty good reason why he's doing it. And I think it's shown uh, across the board. It was, I wouldn't say it was shock more than anything. Like I felt like we had just come, we just won, you know, and we had just come off wrecking at Martinsville from making it to the final four again, or getting wrecked at Martinsville to being in the, you know, for Phoenix and, and then really we, we went to, that off season went to, went home for Christmas or the time off and came back and three days later it was like, well, we're gonna do this. So it was like, whoa. So kind of a shock more than anything. <laughs> yeah, it's probably almost like you didn't even have time to <laughs> to process I mean, it we, because we, immediately they're getting ready for the new year. I think we went testing two weeks after that when they announced it. So literally we it was like, All right, you're uh this is what you're doing. So um, was there any difference switching from, you know, more of a veteran driver like Joey to a kind of a younger up and coming driver like Ryan? I'd say like anything else, a little bit of maturity, but I, I, I think Todd really did a great job that first year we were together kind of like, okay, you've had your rookie year, you've had this and now let's mature up to this is, and I mean, even Todd did it with Joey too. And uh, so I really think Todd kind of got him pointing in the right direction on that level and he's more vocal than Joey. I'll tell you that you guys have the headset. So you listen to the same things we listen to, <laughs> which is not bad though. Cause he's still fighting. Like he wants to fight. Uh, one of my previous drivers would complain and run 20th and then mm-hmm. ask what was wrong and be like, Oh, it's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. We're 20th, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's good. We're, we're, I'd say, and really 
you think about it, we kind of got hampered after we got switched because we had COVID. Yeah. So we couldn't hang out. We didn't get to bond with them or anything like that. It was basically we did the first four races, which we should have. We could have won two, I think, out of the first four or whatever it was. And then COVID hit. And then we really didn't see each other and showed up and six feet apart with a mask on. So we never really got to know them until, you know, last year. So. So you had that transition to Ryan as a driver, and then a couple of years into that, you have a transition from Todd Gordon to Jonathan Hassler. We've had the opportunity to talk to Jonathan a few times. What was that transition like, and are you are you looking forward to continuing that on again for a second year? Yeah, so actually with uh, Hassler, there's only two of us on the team, me and uh, Eric Bailey Stretch. He was actually an engineer with Kurt Busch with Steve Addington, and a little bit with Pat Trison before that. So we've the two of us had worked with Hassler before, so it was kind of cool to see him work his way up through the the ranks, I guess, and then get the opportunity. Uh, just like everybody else's first deal, so he he had learning. He's got learning to do for next year. But I, I thought, all in all, like we we were in we were in contention ninety percent of those races this year. Just we couldn't get the couldn't get the monkey off our back to the last fifty laps of the race or whatever that last ten percent to get it to the you know, win. Obviously, it was frustrating for us as fans, and we can't even imagine what it was like for you guys and Ryan, you know, coming off a year, you know, a career year for him with with three race victories, and then to come into 2022 with just an incredibly consistent team, can you know, consistently outscoring everybody else in the field, and just getting oh so close to, to wins and just oh so close to even a win in, in the finale race that I, we were hoping maybe we we're going to be able to pull off there too um do you guys kind of just take that energy and and try to to move forward in 2023 in a positive direction because like you said at the top of the show i think you know you thought you're on a team that could have won a championship last year so does that give you some drive going into this uh this season yeah for sure i mean it it was great to see a teammate win uh great for team penske great for roger penske uh but it definitely drives us to know that we you know we Missed it. I can't remember the points leading out of uh, Martinsville to get to Phoenix. And then really Phoenix has been strong for him the last three years. I feel like he just, we haven't, uh, I think he got wrecked and we blew a tire. It just, it just hasn't had the luck to finish it. And this year I thought was by far one of our, like, we're going to finish this deal off. You know, he's going to win a Phoenix race mm-hmm. and it just fell short. Uh, if, if you don't say it drives you, like when you leave Phoenix, you probably need to get, you know, to get to Daytona then you probably need to leave. There's your downtime. You want your resting, but a true racer is ready to go after you get that week off or two weeks off. It's all right, let's go. You know, for, I, I kind of feel like Penske does a great job of January one or January two, whenever we come back, it's let's go like all in and, and it's all hands on deck. So I think the last thing I have, and we touched on, you know, your career and how you got into to racing. Now times have changed. Jobs have changed. Teams have changed pretty drastically with the, the next gen car. Do you have any advice for anybody that is graduating high school or graduating college that has that dream of moving, you know, to the North Carolina area and getting involved in NASCAR? Um, kind of sounded to me like you just kind of you need to find a mentor and you need to to work hard. Yes, for sure. I think a lot of people, and I say a lot of the, the generation now, feels like you know you take the old guy that's working on an ARCA car that's been there for twenty years or whatever that knows everything. You listen to him and you do, you know, he may be old, but he's, he, he knows what he's doing and he's trying to, trying to pass that teaching on to you. Uh, Phil, I think there's a lot of entitlement from people leaving school or 
you know, the two schools that do racing, I think they need to be up to the top. I mean, you, there's nothing wrong starting at the bottom, working your way up, you know, and uh, the mechanic part of it, I think there's just not that many people that want to do that anymore. They think they want to get out and go great cup racing. And I can understand why, but right now the cars are so different too. You know, before they were, they weren't different. Now it's, you know, the Xfinity and trucks are kind of close to the same and arc is a little different. And then you got cup that's completely different. So it's hard. Right? I mean, right now the industry is, there's jobs everywhere, like teams. I'm sure you guys are on Twitter. I mean, you've seen Rodney Childress tweet, you know, we're looking for this, this, this. So, I mean, they're out there. It's just, you, you got to be in North Carolina. I know that's a lot of, a lot of issues for some people. They're still in their home state or in their hometown. Like if this is what you want to do, you got to go in hundred percent. You got to get here, figure it out for six months and then, go from there well dave i, I think uh, you get kind of gave us a good recap of your career uh, i know steve and i thank you so much for coming on and talking to us and uh we wish you the 12 team road crew everybody behind the scenes a uh, great 2023 and uh looking forward to see you guys perform yeah thanks for having me on guys i uh, can't wait to see you guys at the racetrack again hopefully we're uh spraying some body armor in victory lane <laughs> that sounds that, great <laughs> that would be the best yeah well steve that was a really awesome uh, interview there with Dave or Mule. Again, it's just great to have members of this team Penske crew for Ryan Blaney on just to give us a little bit of insight. You know, like last year we got to talk to, with the hauler driver. We got to talk with Jonathan Hasser as a crew chief. Uh, now we have somebody that's, you know, a key member of that road crew that kind of keeps things going every week, maybe behind the scenes that you don't always see. We were really thankful to have him on here and get to talk with us and uh, give the fans a little bit more insight about what it is that they do. These uh these guys are really gracious with their time, um, and uh, uh, hopefully as the year goes on, we'll have some more for you, um, a little bit, but more behind the scenes look. Uh, you know, you watch the race on Sunday, and you're definitely cheering for Ryan, and uh, you're cheering for the guys that are, are helping him. Um, but uh, from uh, Monday through to that Sunday, there's a lot of work that goes into that car to get it uh, to the track and have it perform the way it does um, so that Ryan can do his thing. So um, it's, it's great to get that kind of insight from guys like uh, mule uh, because uh, they, they give you a little bit more behind the scenes of what it took to get to NASCAR and then what it takes to, uh, to make that car fast on Sundays. And I think even there's, and I know, I know I mentioned we want to get some more folks on here like Mule, uh, but it might be good to have him on again a little bit later in the season because one thing we really didn't get into mm-hmm. is the fact that he's also serves as a secondary spotter when it comes to road course racing. So it'd be really good maybe after one of these road courses to have him back on and maybe chat a little bit about that. Yeah, that uh, that'd be kind of a cool thing. Uh, hopefully we'll get him later in the year for that too. To, to talk about um there's a lot of good good ones to talk about not just things that are going to happen this year but things that have happened in years past uh the spotting at uh in austin texas two years ago yes <laughs> and, and the rainstorm and stuff like that road road america where you know um so for fans who've been to these places uh you know we get a little bit more insight on uh you know where these guys stand and where they do things from it, it's really kind of cool So at the top of the show, I promised that we were going to circle back to the Daytona 500 as it is the Daytona 500 week here as we kick off the season for the NASCAR Cup Series. Race is going to happen Sunday, February 19th, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch it on Fox and on the radio with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Uh, There's 42 teams entered into this race with only 40 spots available. So two of the drivers 
in this race or two of the drivers at least attempting to qualify and running through the duels this week are going to go home. And it's not always something we we've seen in the past few years. I know maybe 10 or so years ago, it was really, really exciting when you're having you know 43 spots and 50 cars show up. Uh, it is still kind of exciting to have two cars that are, that aren't potentially two cars that will go home in the, the list here of what we call the open cars. So 36 charter cars are locked in four spots, six drivers vying for those four spots. And including that is the number 13 of Chandler Smith, the number 36 of Zane Smith, the number 50 of Connor Daly, who is an IndyCar driver, the number 62 of Austin Hill, who's normally in the Xfinity series, the number 67 here, Travis Pastrana, and the number 84 with Legacy Motor Club, and that is seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson, who's making his return to the NASCAR Cup Series. Steve, is there anybody in that list that you think is a lock, and is there anybody that you think might be a wild card? Well, um, you know, one of the things we were discussing before is that qualifying on Wednesday, um, two of the cars basically locked themselves in on time, and then it'll be four cars racing for the other two spots. And the two fastest of those open cars, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson definitely looks like they'll, you know, he's coming from an established program, established team, um, that'll have the equipment and have the engine power that they'll need to qualify quite well. So uh, barring some sort of weird tailwind or, or headwind or something that happens during their qualifying run, uh, I look for them to be one of those two that are going to be in on time no matter what happens in the dual races um then from there uh, i really think um zane smith might be that second guy who will uh who will qualify in on on speed um he's got what it takes that's the thing is he he's going to come out there and uh you know he he's going to have the equipment he needs and he has raced you know in in the other series uh, on this track so um I see that in 36, like 36 cars, pretty cool too, for uh, D- Dave Vans, you know, <laughs> those are, those are quite great memories. Um, the 50 Connor Daly in the 50 is uh, one that I think could race his way in, uh, in the duels. Um, just because he's, he's used to running with chaos at 200 miles an hour. Um, and probably be a little more, um, it's a little, I want to use the word less dangerous for him because an yeah. open, open wheel car at Indianapolis at 220 miles an hour, uh, you know, whereas, uh, you know, in, in the pack, uh, uh, at Daytona it might feel a little bit more safe to him just because he's in, in a car that's got a hood on it and so forth and not going quite as fast actually. So he's one guy that I really would look out for as long as his equipment can hold up. Um, I think that he, he could be one of the guys that races away in, um, so that's three of three of the four. <laughs> and you're talking about Connor Daly there. He actually made his Cup Series debut last year race that I was at. And that was the Roval race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Actually had a pretty decent run going on until they did have a mechanical failure. Again, that was in this 50 car for the money team racing. Uh, this 50 car with the money team actually made it into the Daytona 500 last year with Kaz Grala behind the wheel. It was uh, kind of like a last second thing. I think there was a caution and, and the 50 got back on the lead lap after going after going a lap down at one point or at least coming close to going a lap down. So um, they have the equipment to get in. Um, we'll just have to see how they, they're going to be able to race here. Um, Travis Pastrana is just an interesting one on here and immediately people 
Um, as always on Twitter, questioning his credentials and forgetting the fact that I think he ran almost two full seasons of the Xfinity series. Um, he's ran uh, multiple races at Daytona and Talladega in the Xfinity series. So this isn't new to him. It's just been a while. And if you're talking about uh, this guy being worried about him jumping into a brand new car that he's never been in before and performing, well, this past week at Volusia Speedway, just down the road from Daytona, he hopped into a UMP Modified uh, and raced against some of the best in the country that are down here for the, you know, the Winter Nationals and picked up a feature win. First week in the car. So, I mean, this guy, no matter what he gets behind, he's a winner. So I would not be surprised if he's able to muscle his way into the Daytona 500 somehow. Um, and as you mentioned, Zane Smith, super solid uh, racer. Now he's not going to have Josh Williams up there spotting for him like he does in the truck series. So maybe that's going to hinder him a little bit because we know how good uh, Josh is when he spots super speedways. But he did win at Daytona in the truck series to kick off the season last year. He's one to watch Chandler's. I mean, every single guy on this list. And I mean, Jimmy Johnson, like you said, seven time champion. It's going to be a shocker if he doesn't make the field. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, just on speed alone, because they're, like I said, their equipment will be better than the other five guys um, that have to qualify uh, their way in. So, and they take the top two speed guys to begin with, unless those guys qualify their way in the duel. And then when they, if they do qualify in the way in the duel, it goes down that speed list further and further. So he's probably going to be the top guy out of the six on speed on, on Wednesday night, I would think. So what you're saying then is basically Chandler Smith and Riley Herbst are out, right? Have we picked our four basically? <clears throat> yeah, I mean if I had to if I had to pick a couple that I mean it's like I like almost every single one that's that's on the list here, but I do I mean I didn't mention Austin Hill. Austin Hill's the other one, not not Herbst, oh, but um, Austin Hill is in the Xfinity series. I think he he's got a or he has a truck win I think at Daytona. I think he won the season opener in the Xfinity series at Daytona last year. Um, he's probably looking to get a cup win at Daytona now too, to add to that, that list mm-hmm. there. He is someone that if he gets into the race, you're going to have to watch for him because he's a really smart, super speedway racer. Um, it's just such a tough list of these six drivers right here, but I do think Johnson gets in. I think Zane Smith gets in. I think Pastrana gets in. And I think Connor, Connor Daly. I'm still going to say Austin Hill. I think Connor oh, Daly goes home. Oh man. Chandler Smith is an interesting one too, because if he is in the duel with his teammate, that's a colleague car, colleague car. If he gets a teammate in his duel with him, I can see AJ making sure because AJ is that kind of team player. I can see AJ pushing Chandler up there and making sure he's in a transfer spot, you know? So absolutely lots of good stuff to look at on, uh, between Wednesday and Thursday with with, uh, just that. So yeah, you're listening to this before. For Thursday, you're going to want to tune into those dual races because these might be the most highly anticipated dual races in the last few years, for sure, especially with this list of open cars that are vying for four spots to will go home. Um, now, I think we should shift over and talk about uh, the number 12 team and Ryan Blaney and his effort in the Daytona 500. We got to talk with Jonathan Hassler last week a little bit about what they were doing on their way in, mentioned the fact that there's no practice before qualifying Jonathan wasn't too concerned about that. I'm not really too concerned about that because again, it's, it'd be really cool to sit on the pole for the Daytona 500, but this team's going to be locked in no matter what. Um, Here's something interesting though. Um, Just, you know, listening of course to other podcasts and catching little bits and pieces of other places. Uh, Denny Hamlin on his podcast this week was saying that the Ford's new nose should help them be more effective 
um, in uh, qualifying at super speedways and the intermediates. So although the 12 team and actually all the Penske cars to begin with don't concentrate on their qualifying effort, they may just have a, an advantage to begin with. So they may be more competitive than the Hendrick cars come, come Wednesday night uh, for qualifying. I, I'm, you know, I'm hoping a little bit because they'd like to start up a little higher in the duels because you, you know, you finish up higher in the duel and you finish up higher at the, at, you know, you start the race on Sunday in the top 10, there's less of a chance of something happening yeah. right, right off the bat. Um, so it would be nice to have that happen. Um, to be one of the top two would be super, you know, we would just love to see that. But like you said, they don't necessarily prepare the cars for that. They prepare the cars for the race um, and, and, and don't worry so much about that extra couple tenths that they, they would need to get the pole. Yeah. And Hendrick Motorsports car has been on, on the pole, uh, specifically Alex Bowman, I think, you know, maybe eight or so the last nine or eight or, eight or the last 10 or so Daytona 500s. It's been a long time uh, since the Fords have been dominant. I think since maybe the Yates cars when they used to sit on the pole a lot uh, at Daytona. Now, if we talk about Ryan Blaney and his stats at Daytona International Speedway, and this is going to be overall, so this will be the the former July race, now August race, plus the Daytona 500 all combined. Average start, 12.9. So like you said, not super far back, but not super far front. Uh, average finish of 18.1, and that just goes with super speedways because he's, it's a lot of feast or famine when it comes to these tracks. He has one win, four top five, six top tens. He has two runner-up finishes in the Daytona 500 coming in 2017 and 2020. Um, Last year, finished fourth. Was maybe one move away from, again, another top two finish, potentially a win. Where uh, I've been told uh, every time NASCAR reposts that video, uh, people don't want to see it anymore. So I don't know that we really need to dwell on the past there, but a teammate did go home. Uh, with the Daytona 500 championship last year. So uh, I think it's redemption time for Ryan Blaney and the 12 team. And um, let's see if they can do it in the 500. They've already done it in the, in the Coke zero 400. Uh, why don't they go ahead out there and do it? The Daytona 500 now. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's like I said uh, earlier, it, it, they just they gotta stay out of other people's messes and, and be there at the end. Um, my dream scenario is to just have a nice long green flag run at the end of the race and have him be out front and just kind of like, you know, he, he reminds a lot of people of the way Dale Jr. When he runs in the front, you know, people want to want to be behind him. People want to help him. And, and uh, you know, I just don't want him to be the sitting duck basically at the end. Hopefully, you know, nobody gets that run. Um, like we saw when we were there uh, summers ago uh, for the, for the cook, uh, Coke zero 400. He, um, you know, he was leading out front and other guys decided to tangle with each other at the end, you know, and that's actually the best place to be when everybody else wants to bang on each other, be in the front that way, you're less likely to get caught up in the mess. And, uh, you know, I was just, you know, we've, he's won a Daytona already. Just let's do it in the, uh, in the spring now, in the, you know, at the beginning. Now you brought up the fact that each manufacturer was able to redesign the the nose of the car for this year. Um, so I'm interested to see what that happens with, I think it was the Chevrolet specifically, the nose on their version of the next gen car was a little bit pointed, maybe had a little bit more of a tougher time when it came to pushing drivers in front of them. I'm not sure how that, that affected yeah. the Toyotas, uh, but we might see 
either resurgence in bump drafting or more stable bump drafting because that was also a thing too with the handling of the next gen cars a little bit more loose but that was also early in the season last year um so i think you're going to be looking at a completely different daytona 500 here they have a full season's worth of a notebook and i don't think most of those other changes that they made in the rear end of the car are going to impact racing on a super speedway yeah there's um there's more to it now once you get a year into the into the schedule with uh, this new car um, the notebook is a little bit deeper and the, they, like you just said, they, they know exactly, not exactly. They know more of what the car can do than, than they did last this time. So, um, that one, one thing we know is the runs come faster. Um, <clears throat> even though the cars may not seem like they're going as fast. So, um, this new can you know, the camera last year, they put, you know, that camera where they, you know, the rear camera and they can see it on the, on the top of the dashboard, um, they drive a lot differently because of that. Um, and we do know that Ryan has probably the best spotter for super speedway racing out there. Um, and you know, you know, he, he's able to change battery packs on the fly so fast. <laughs> People don't understand that at all. He goes through eight to 10 sets of batteries, uh, the battery packs uh, during a race. Cause he's on that radio so much. So uh, and he changes them quickly when not, you know, hopefully nothing's going on and gets it and keeps the, the flow of information coming. So yeah, all the things are definitely aligned. Um, I don't even know what the weather looks like for the weekend, but uh, everything else is aligned to, to, to have that success that uh, he deserves. Yeah. The weather, as I looked at it earlier today, uh, since I'm interested in it, because we will be heading over to Daytona for the weekend. Um, it looked like in the mid seventies, it's, they always throw in just a slight chance of rain, but as of right now, it wasn't a, a big chance of rain, but that could change throughout the weekend because it is, after all, Florida. And we had a very wet weekend this past weekend here in the Sunshine State. Um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday or early on Wednesday, you still have time to catch the Daytona 500 qualifying for the Cup Series, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesday on Fox Sports 1. On Thursday, again, I said this is one of the most anticipated uh, dual races in a long time. You're going to want to catch that 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, the NASCAR Cup Series Blue Green Vacation Duels at Daytona. Also on Fox Sports 1, you can catch the NASCAR uh, Craftsman Truck Series race on 7.30 p.m. Friday. Also on Fox Sports 1, Josh Williams probably going to be the spotter for Zane Smith again this year. Again, that pair won the season opening race at Daytona last year. You're going to want to tune in for that. Uh, Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, the NASCAR Xfinity Series beef. It's what's for dinner, 300 at Daytona on Fox Sports 1. And Steve, we have another reason to maybe tune into this race Mm -hmm. this year. Yeah, special color analyst uh, in the Fox Sport booth uh, will be Ryan Blaney himself. Um, You know, the Fox part of the schedule um, last year, uh, every couple of weeks he was on there on the broadcast doing color commentary. Um, there's been a nice couple articles out this year, even talking about how um, it actually helps him to see or see the race from that vantage point and to just kind of see some of the things and how, how they work, even though the Xfinity car is a little different. Um, so uh, yeah, Saturday, uh, five o'clock Saturday afternoon to be uh, worth tuning in just to hear Ryan and what he has to say um, during that Xfinity race. So 
Yeah, he does a great job and uh, he does his homework up there and kind of sees it. Maybe it's not going to be that good for Daytona, but definitely at other tracks when he's in the booth, he kind of sees some trends that happened during the Xfinity Series race that may be something that he can point to when he gets out there in the Cup Series car. So this Sunday, February 19th, it's the big show, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the NASCAR Cup Series 2023 Daytona 500. That you can catch on Fox and again on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. So I mentioned the fact that we're going to be headed over to Daytona to catch the 500 this year. If you yourself are going to be also headed down to Daytona, um, there's some opportunities here that, to interact with the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. If you went to Indianapolis last year, I think at a, potentially Charlotte uh, for the 600 and some other races throughout the year, they had actually had a tent uh, to interact with fans, sell some merchandise, spread some awareness for the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. Um, really cool merchandise and shirts and other things that you can pick up. And you have the opportunity to talk with the folks that are there and they are uh, excited to be at Daytona this year. And they're going to be located uh, right next to Bass Pro Shops, which is across the street uh, from Daytona International Speedway and directly next to one of the main pedestrian bridges that goes up over uh, Daytona International Speedway Boulevard. So if you are someone that is parking in the free parking lot and you're taking the the bus shuttles over to the track, you can't miss uh, this Ryan Blaney Family Foundation setup because you're going to be walking right past it when you go over to the pedestrian bridge. If you're parking over there, uh, I think it's lot three uh, right behind Bass Pro Shops and right next to Daytona one or one Daytona. um, You're going to be right next to this, too, and you're going to want to catch them because they're going to be there Thursday, Friday. Saturday and Sunday, activating with fans. Uh, Thursday, they kick off the day at 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Friday, 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And Sunday on race day, 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. So it's going to be a long day for them there. If you are there on Saturday, the 18th, this is going to be before, uh, it might be during the ARCA race and before the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Ryan Blaney is supposed to make an appearance at Four Rivers Smokehouse from 2 to 2.30 p.m. Four Rivers is actually just right across from the Bass Pro Shops and right across from where this tent's going to be set up at One Daytona. It's a big barbecue restaurant. Um, They're very excited about this going out there, and I'm really excited to maybe meet some other Blaney fans as we kind of go check things out ourselves. Yeah, um, this whole weekend is a weekend of get there early, not only for something like that, but for everything that's happening. Um, they made their official announcement that everything is sold out on Sunday, um, all the way down to, you know, uh, uh, everybody in the, uh, camping and, and, uh, you know, uh, I think you guys are going to be, we got tickets for also into the infield too, which that has yeah. sold out too. So we'll be yeah, in the so- infield, uh, watching from the van zone, watching from up on the garage and walking around near victory lane, that kind of thing. So looking forward to that, but yes, it is a, I think it's the eighth straight year that the, Daytona 500 is sold out and this is a complete sellout from grandstand. Like you said, to RV, uh, to infield, um, all that stuff, all, even their extra, you know, uh, special loges and that kind of thing sold out to the brim. So you said, get there early and why not? And you can do something like this, head over to the Ryan Blaney family foundation, uh, tent there, because again, they're going to be there in the morning. They're going to be there starting at 8 AM on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And if you're, uh, if you want to, like I said, park in those free lots and take the bus shuttle over, best thing to do is get there early as possible. And there's, I mean, if you've, you've been to a racetrack and you've been out there for all the sponsor activation and different booths and food and that kind of stuff, 
it's big at other racetracks at Daytona. It's like times 10. Mm-hmm. That's the entire front stretch of that track, which is huge uh, out, out there outside the, the speedway. There's setups from every manufacturer, fast food restaurants, you know, Geico, like just stuff all over the place that you can do, especially if you have kids, there's tons of opportunities for kids to get out there, uh, play win some stuffed animals. And they're going to have a stage out there where drivers are going to be doing, uh, some Q and a sessions uh, along the way too. So yeah, get there early. And if you tailgate and that's your thing, that's fine too. But if you're interested in just having some fun in the midway, the Daytona midway is nothing like anything else I've seen before. You, um, you're going to be there, uh, Saturday and Sunday at least. Correct. Correct. Uh, on Sunday, um, maybe you should set up a little, um, meet up and greet up, uh, somewhere maybe at the, at the foundation tent even, and yeah, get, get a bunch of Blaney, Blaney fans and uh, Team Blaney fan uh, people there too that uh, follow uh, follow the uh, site. Um, I don't know, just look out on Twitter and stuff like that. And Adam likes to do things like on the fly because you don't never never know where you're going to be on traffic. You never know where you're going to be. Uh, yeah, doing doing things. But uh, keep an eye out on like Twitter for sure on Team Blaney and uh, maybe get some fans together at some point during the day, early early in the day. You know. Yeah, I definitely know a lot of folks are interested on on Saturday if people are there for the Xfinity Series race again. Ryan's going to be doing this. Uh, this session over at Four River Smokehouse. I think people are going to meet up over near the foundation tent and then head over there for that appearance. Uh, on Sunday, again, we're going to be watching from the fan zone uh, before in pre-race at the UN- UNOH uh, fan zone stage. Ryan's going to be doing a driver Q&A there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly on the time, but I'll definitely tweet that out uh, when we get that information. Um, that might be another spot to just hang out and say hi. And again, all race long, I mean, we're probably just going to be roaming around uh, the fan zone and maybe the infield just kind of watching things because we've experienced the Daytona 500 from the grandstand multiple times. I've experienced it from the infield when I was covering the race myself as a journalist. Um, so we just kind of want to experience as, as a couple of fans roaming around the infield this time uh, for this season just to kind of see the spectacle from maybe another point of view um, from on top of the garages there. Um, some more, I know we've already been talking about the foundation a lot, but they actually announced another thing this week too, that's opened up and, uh, that's going to be the wall of fame for the driving for good top golf event. They're going to have at the top golf university in Charlotte. Um, this is something that we participated in last year and we encouraged other people to participate in basically the wall of fame, uh, it's a minimum donation of $25. You will get your name up on the wall of fame at the top golf event. Uh, for a donation of $50 or more, your name will go up there on a placard. And then after the event, Ryan Blaney is going to personally autograph that card and they will mail it back to you. And as I said, it makes a really great souvenir, something that you could frame, you can hang up on your wall, hang up on your desk at work. Um, and it's another way to support the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. Uh, so again, you can find out more information about that on their social media accounts, on Facebook, on Twitter, on their website at ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org. Um, like I said, it goes to a great cause and it comes back to you immediately as a really cool autographed souvenir. Yeah, we did this last year. Um, if if you can't be there, it's, it's a great way to just show your support. Um, and it's really kind of a nice little uh, thing. People were walking by it checking out where they were and looking at some of the other names of people, uh, that, that, uh, that did it. Some, uh, some of them kind of famous, <laughs> some of the people that were there and so forth. But, uh, what was really nice about it, like you said, is we got it back, uh, and it's a nice souvenir, uh, something that they autograph and it's uh, going to be kind of a one of a kind thing. One other thing that I wanted to mention to talk about in this action-packed episode that we've here had here so far is the fact that the team Blaney NASCAR fantasy live league is going to be back 
And from what I understand, they're going to open that up on Wednesday, the 14th. So that's going to be the day of Daytona 500 qualifying. Um, we've talked about this uh, last couple episodes as well. The, the fantasy league is full as of right now from people that have been participating in the last couple of years. So I think the rule that I'm going to go by is we're going to let this go for two weeks and anybody that has not set a lineup in those first two weeks are going to be removed from the league to open it up for other folks that want to get in. And I've already had emails and messages uh, and discord chats where people are trying to ask how to get into the fantasy league. I think this is the the most fair way to do that. Let's see who's going to participate this year. Because again, if you participated last year, you're already set up. So if you have that login, uh, you're already good to go. Just make sure that you get in there and you set your lineup and you can start doing that uh, starting on the 14th. So you might want to wait until after qualifying. You might want to wait until after the duels. Um, some other folks also have different kind of strategies when it comes to super speedway racing too, where they maybe uh, start start some drivers they don't normally do the rest of the season, mm-hmm. which is usually the way that I go with things. So, uh, but I just want to throw that out there again that if you wanted to join the league, you and you haven't been in yet, you might have to wait a couple of weeks. Plenty of time after. I mean, there's you know 36 point races in the year. If you join after a couple of weeks, you have tons of time to catch up when it comes to points because there's plenty of knuckleheads like me that don't know what they're doing <laughs> or or think they think it through too much and then actually end up doing worse uh, by thinking too much about what their lineup's going to be. So even if it's your goal is just to beat me and Steve, uh, you have plenty of time to catch up after those first two weeks are through. I have one goal. That's just, you're it. <laughs> I'm the target on my back. You're the target every year. <laughs> I can uh, get, just creep past Adam before the end of the year, even though I missed my lineup a couple times. Yeah, I know. And I think you still beat me. Yep. It happens. What are we going to do? <laughs> All right, Steve. I think we've had enough for this episode. Again, super excited for NASCAR cars to be on track again in the Cup Series for a points race in the season opening Daytona 500. But I do want to thank everyone else here for tuning into this episode of the Team Blaney podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, just listen to our very first episode that explores our Blaney racing fandom. You can interact with us on Facebook and Twitter at Team Blaney and on Instagram at team.blaney. And we do have a new form of social media that we're dabbling in this week, Steve. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Um, if you go to Team Blaney um, on the TikTok, uh, I, the wife hates when I do that, the TikTok. On TikTok, um, we've already cut, put a couple videos, and I'm going to try real hard uh, to put uh, up a video or two here in the next couple of days. And I know Adam's got some content he wants to put together. Um, so follow that. Um, definitely get on there and follow it. Um, it'll be fun. And uh, kind of a neat little way to hurry up and throw something up too real quick too. So um, a lot easier than just uh, the, than what we do with this podcast format. So um, take a look for Team Blaney on TikTok. Uh, look for Adam, myself, and uh, some fun stuff. I know Adam's really, really good with creative stuff. So you look, for, look out for that. No pressure, nothing, Adam. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have fun with it. And like I said, I've... You know, it gives me more reason to use this great background I have here to, to film stuff. Um, so look for us there and we'll hopefully be able to give you more information, more content there too. Yeah. The other goal too, maybe to do some videos at the track. So definitely Saturday, look for some things while the Wi-Fi and the cell reception is good. Sunday when there's a hundred 
almost 200,000 people there in Daytona. I'm not sure what things are going to be like. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully I might even be able to at least tweet updates from there. Uh, but that, that'll be a lot of fun. We're at, we're all, Steve and I go to several races each year and uh, that might be a good opportunity to use TikTok for that as well in video form. And finally, we'd like to encourage you again to support the aforementioned Ryan Blaney Family Foundation established in 2018. This organization supports causes like the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine through fundraisers, events, and membership in the Blaney Bunch Fan Club. To learn more, visit RyanBlaneyFamilyFoundation.org or follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So, for my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney Podcast. Good night, Brussels. Uh, thanks everybody for coming. I hope you enjoyed it.